The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Okay, I'm going to ask you to not open your bulletins or take out the sermon outline right yet, okay? Got it? All right. Um, so I'm going to ask also, do you remember back in the day, and I'm showing my age, of course, I'm going to be 50 in December, but do you remember the $10,000 pyramid? Do you remember Dick Clark? And the, the... I remember. I remember the, the movie stars of the late 70s and early 80s who were explaining things uh, to contestants who were trying to win $10,000, and now I think they're redoing it. It's going to be $100,000. Maybe there was a $20,000 pyramid, too, and whatever. But do you remember how they, the, the, the movie stars were trying to, to ask the contestants here? The, these are, they're giving them hints, and they're going to try to think about. These are things like in a church, the baptismal font, the, the, the altar, those things. Things in a church, right? Or uh, things that are on a car or, or, or something like that. I'm going to give you a little, little quiz. Let's play the $10,000 pyramid. I don't have $10,000, but um, you ready? You have the bulletins closed? Okay, dice, shoes, gloves, earrings. Are you guys playing? I must start over again. I don't have anything else. I'm done. No, it's things that come in. You guys like to say pairs, but we're in a series called Two Words. So open up your bulletin. Things that come in. That's the way I've done it. Okay, great. Yeah, things that come in twos. And it was amazing to me that as I read Galatians chapter 4, we're in four out of the six uh, chapters of this great book of the Bible, that there's two words. What are those two words? Law and gospel because we are sinner and saint. I know you've been with us in this Galatians series. Two words. Long gospel, and in this particular chapter, I was amazed. I was amazed to see, wow, St. Paul's writing, we have two places. There's Sinai, there's heavenly Jerusalem, there's two sons, Isaac, Ishmael, two mothers, Sarah, Hagar. There's two states, slave, uh, two states of existence and time, formerly slave, now free. Two identities. Well, that's really, I just put that in there because it makes the, the pyramid look better. Um, uh, two ways of living, according to the flesh or according to law and according to God's promise. And you remember that law and gospel, these two words, are in the Bible and God uses different ways to communicate his law. But all of it focus on the condemnation of, of us who don't deserve heaven. Did you hear what I just said? We don't deserve what? Because we are what? Well, because we're sinners. But the good news of the gospel that's also communicated in many and various ways is that for the sake of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, he rose again for our salvation, you are saints. You're set apart. You're made holy. You're righteous before him. And that's the good news that we all need to hear every day. Long gospel, two words, and in chapter 4, there's all kinds of things of two. And so I'm ready to just kind of go through that with you. So would you open up your Bibles, please? Galatians chapter 4, if you brought your own. If not, we have Bibles provided. They're on page 1,813 for us to go through kind of 
portion by portion. We're going to go from verses 8 through 31, but take it in three sections according to the, the things of two that are communicated by Paul. He does it in a way that we call figuratively. Figuratively, meaning that he uses things that the Jews are totally familiar with from the Old Testament to communicate something that's happening in this New Testament, this, this new time of, of really the first Christian churches being established and the difficulties that they're going through. Figuratively, he uses things from the past to explain things that are, are new in his day. Modern-day example of this is if I say the Internet is an information highway, that's kind of figurative language, right? The Internet, it's, an infor- it's really not a highway, but you get it in such a way that we can comprehend that. Here, Paul is writing that kind of way, and he's writing to new Christians that aren't Jews that are being persuaded. I would say this, I don't even know if it's a word, that are being guilted that are getting pressure, saying, look, these people are trying to give Paul a bad name. The Jewish Pharisees, remember the recovering Jewish Pharisees? They're, they're trying to give Paul a bad name. They're saying, hey, don't listen to this, Paul. He's watering down the Christian gospel. He's not telling you uh, that, yeah, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you got to obey all these other things, the requirements of the law. Remember? Get circumcised, uh, obey the Sabbath day, observe all the festivals and the ceremonial foods. you got to do all that, too. Don't listen to him. Because he's not even an authentic apostle, really. I mean, you better listen to Peter and James. They were the ones right there with Jesus. So can you feel the pressure that's going on to these Galatians? They're wanting to, to kind of do what's natural, in them to obey these laws too yes i believe but then i want to obey and really it goes to i have to obey and that's what paul is trying to write so keep that in mind we're going to begin in verse chapter eight uh sorry verse eight in chapter four paul writes formally when you did not know god you were slaves to those who by nature are not god's But now that you know God, or or rather are known by God, and and just a personal side note here, I love the way Paul lays it out. Yeah, you know God, but you are known by God because we do nothing to earn our salvation. God is the one who initiates. God is the one who pursues. You are known by God, just like this baby. Has no idea, but God knows before the beginning of time about Adelida into God's kingdom. That's beautiful. Rather, you are known by God before the creation of the world. We do nothing, but God's always the one. Okay, back to the text. But now you know God rather known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? He doesn't mince words, does he? Weak and miserable principles. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. He is arguing. Not only is he arguing, he's apologizing. Apologizing, not meaning weak and I'm sorry, but defending the faith. He's defending the faith. That's what apologia in in the Greek means, defending the faith. In these verses, we're going to find these first things of two that come to play. One is the state of time and the descriptions of existence of who we are formally that means before in time formally you were what they were what 
Slaves, they existed as slaves. That means these stipulations of God's law were burdening them. But now you are known by God, and now I want you to live in freedom, St. Paul is saying. Freedom from all those past religious ceremonial laws. Freedom to live in Christ. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor RJ, was, I, was, I was nervous for him. I was gone on vacation, but I saw his, his sermon online. He was climbing up, remember? Climbing up that ladder. I'm like, I'm not doing that. You go for that. But it was a great description of how the attitude in our hearts and the hearts of the Galatian people, I'm going to climb up to God. I'm going to do these things to try to please him and earn my salvation. And that's not what happens here. It's Jesus comes down to us. Paul is writing, hey, you're trying to run back to those old ways that that was prescribed before Jesus came. You don't have to do those things. Why are you trying to do those rituals and requirements again? Because they are, he says it, weak and miserable principles. They're chaining you like slaves. God wants you to be free, free from being circumcised. Remember, at eight days old, a a male child had to be what? Circumcised, And then when, when the text in verse 10 says you have to observe, that Greek word observe means you have to meticulously obey all the Sabbath days, all the ceremonial laws, all the seasons and the years, all the sacrifices. And to these new Christians who aren't Jewish, they're like, hey, it's really not anything different. I mean, I used to worship all these idols, these false gods. I just apply what I know to there and try to work my way up to heaven. That's easy. I'll believe that. And Paul's writing to say, no, no, don't. I'm going to ask you in your mindset today, do you tend to think of your good behavior and your religious actions? Is that going to be the reason for you to be in heaven? If I were to ask you personally today this question, how would you answer if God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? I would imagine that the Galatian people, if they had that question asked to them, they would say, because I believe in Jesus and, and I got circumcised and I'm, and I'm obeying these laws and I'm not eating these foods and I'm going to all these sacrifices and festivals. I'm doing that. I believe in Jesus and. Same with us today. If I were to ask you that question, would you say, I believe in Jesus and. I go to church every week. I mean, I make a point not to miss. I go to church every week. I believe in Jesus, and I also give 10% of my money to church. I believe in Jesus, and I'm part of the Wednesday night Bible studies. I'm in a small group. I believe in Jesus, and I'm, say, I'm praying three times a day. I believe in Jesus, and I'm being a good person. I believe in Jesus, and. And I think God has such a great sense of humor. I think if we were to say those kinds of things to him, he'd probably say, Wow. That's a long and impressive list. That's awesome. But guess what? You had me and I believe in Jesus. Because that's what all that is required. I believe in Jesus. Two ways of living. Not only two states of existing, but two ways of living there. According to God's law. That's the way that I was saying it. Or according to the promise of the gospel, how I said it. In the end, Paul's pleading in these verses in Galatians, live in freedom like I am. Imitate me. Don't be in spiritual slavery to what these Jewish Pharisees are trying to tell you. Martin Luther calls it the monster of uncertainty. 
That means following all these traditions and relying on our good behavior and actions, the monster of uncertainty, because that always makes us unsure. Unsure. And he, he writes in a commentary, have I done enough? Is my faith strong enough? Did I start early enough? Did I do it right? Did I follow all the rules? All these things cause us to be uncertain because we go back to what I've done. The monster of uncertainty. Instead, would the question be this? Did Christ do it right? Did he do enough? Did he do it right? The answer is Yes, absolutely yes. It's Christ who did it and paid it all for me. My salvation doesn't, it doesn't matter anything of what I've done, only about what Jesus has done. And I think that gives us the most perfect assurance that we could have. Did he die on the cross for our sins? Yes. Did he rise again from the dead? Yes, he did. And because he did, that's God's stamp of approval. It said, yes, Jesus did it right. Not me. Because if anything depends on me and my salvation, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to fail all the time. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 says this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Not whoever believes and is baptized and goes to church and does all these things and, and tries to obey all the law perfectly will be saved. No. Whoever believes and is baptized, will be saved. Paul's words are encouraging these new Christians to follow that way. Follow the way of not the law and the flesh, but the gospel promise. And so if you're here today, and you're feeling like God is mad at you because you don't give 10% tithe to church, stop. God wants a cheerful giver. He wants people to give because uh, they've known how much forgiveness and grace has been in their life. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time especially if we think it's because we are going to gain heaven from it. If you're feeling kind of afraid today or find a, fi feeling guilty because you missed coming to service last week because you, didn't, because you don't make regular worship a part of your life right now, stop. Just repent. God doesn't make a mark and say, hey, I'm going to keep track of every single life, every single Sunday that you're coming to church. God wants you to come because you want to. And because you love to. Because in this place you receive forgiveness of sins and life and salvation and all these gifts that God gives. If you fell back to whatever addiction or whatever sin that you just go to because this is the, the way the world is and this is how my life is, be assured that today you can confess your sins to God and say sorry and get a second chance, and get a third chance, and get a tenth chance, and then get a ten millionth chance because God loves to forgive. Amen? Amen. We're going to take some moments now to confess those sins that maybe is weighing you down, that's may, maybe you feel like you got chains on you, whatever it is, just take some moments right now, simple, quiet moments, and confess God who knows your heart and mind. Speak to him. What a blessing it is for me to tell you that God has heard your confession. He knows who you are. You're his child, and he loves to forgive. Those sins that you confessed him, they're forgiven. In the name of Jesus, all the people say, amen.
This is what living in freedom looks like. And living in the freedom of the gospel promise as opposed to God's law. So that we can answer that question, why should I let you into my heaven, with two simple words. What are they? You promised. Say it. You promised. Why should I let you in? Because you, God, promised me. It's not up to me, but you baptized me. You've given me faith. You've given me the Holy Spirit. You've given me your word. I'm your child. Help me to act like it. Praise God that this is what he's done. And yet we struggle daily because we are sinner and saint at the same time. And we need to hear the law of God and the gospel of God every day. And that's why you come to church. That's why I come to church. Because there is a tendency in my life, and probably yours, that we try to rely on our actions, our behavior, what we do to please God, make ourselves acceptable to him. That's the struggle. And it's a common struggle. It's one we're going to have throughout the rest of our life, unfortunately. That's why scripture in many places says to us and reminds us, that's not the way I want you to live. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The struggle is real, people. It's real. Living according to our flesh or the law or according to the gospel. 2 Timothy 4 says this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Real story that happened in my life a couple weeks ago. Many of you know that on Wednesday nights in this place, I play futsal, which is a Brazilian game, indoor soccer in the gym with a bunch of teenagers and young adults. And uh, it's, a, it's a blast. And I, I get to read uh, a halftime devotion. And, and actually, Steve Blasky's here. He's actually done that for me over the summer because I'm in the old man league right now, uh, outdoor, and I can't make it here on Wednesday nights. But Steve has been doing that. And what a blessing to be able to see a bunch of guys, a few from our church, but mostly guys from the community come in. And one night as I was cleaning up, I didn't let you do that, Steve. I cleaned up that that night. Um, But I found this. You can see it on the screen. I'm going to read what it says to you. It's a scapular. I don't know if how many of you know what that is, but it's a piece of cloth. It's a necklace that you put, put over. Uh, yourself, and it says this Whoever, whosoever dies clothed in this scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. The scapular promise from Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and then on the other piece of the cloth, it says this A sign of salvation, Our Lady of Mount Carmel to St. Simon Stock 1251. So I looked that up online, and there are precise rules that you must follow. It's got to be blessed by an authorized clergy person. If you lose it, you got to do something else. If you don't wear it for some time, you got to do, do something. But people put their hope that they would be wearing that piece to not suffer eternal fire. That's a scapular promise, but what about God's promise? Shouldn't our focus be on what God says to us from his holy word? Now, we're guilty of not just this, but so many things in our life that we put our hope and our faith in so many other 
things and we forget and it's hard for us to trust and rely on God's promise. And so in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is saying, you know what? If it's difficult for you Galatians and for us today, it was difficult for Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. So we're going to continue reading from Galatians 4, verses 13 to 23. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. You remember when I said I think God has a funny sense of humor? Do um, you remember that? This Thursday, I'm in my office, I'm preparing my sermon, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not really quite ready yet, but I'm going to try, and all of a sudden, my eye's bugging me. It's getting red, it feels like it's getting puffy, I'm like, oh, Lord, what's going on? It's getting worse, so much so that I better get to the doctor. So I call for a doctor's appointment. I think it was, yeah, Thursday night, late, I get there. And the doctor comes, and, and you know, you have to get your weight and your blood pressure and all that, and then what's wrong? Well, the, the doctor said, Tony, forget about your eye, it's fine. But your blood pressure is like skyrocketing. What is going on? If you, if you weren't as healthy as you were, I'd send you to the ER right now. Like, what? What are you talking about? Wig me out, freak me out. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. took me a day. I'm still not recovered from it yet. But it, 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 it took me a, a day to understand, you know what? I think God allowed me to have that eye issue just so I could get to the doctor's office so that they could see uh, about my blood pressure. And so I'm looking. I'm like, God, you're talking about eyes. Something happens to my eyes. Here I am in the doctor's office, and, and this is how you take care of me. And praise God. Thank you for that. Some scholars believe. I know it's a long stretch. I just want to tell you what's going on in my life because blah, 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 blah. Okay. Scholars think that Paul had an eye issue, an eye problem, because he, he, he references his eyes, and they, the Galatian people, regardless, they, they took care of him like they were one of his own. He took care of them, and, and, and he, he writes to them like a father would write to him. Verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you, my dear children. For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written, and here comes the figurative language, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a what? Divine promise. Our next things that come in twos, sons, Isaac and Ishmael, mothers, Sarah and Hagar, and you know the story. It's on your uh, prescribed reading there for the week ahead. Genesis chapter 16 through 21 tell the story about Abraham and Sarah, and about God's divine promise to them. What was that promise? You're going to have a what? A son. And that son then through his line is going to come Messiah, a Savior. 
Abram and Sarah are, are in their 80s. I don't remember exactly the point when the promise was given, but by the time the son comes uh, in their life, they're 100, he's 100 years old. He's 90. I mean, come on. That's a miracle. That's a divine promise from God. But between those times, Sarah's saying, this isn't happening. We're not having any kid. Why don't you go sleep with my slave girl? She's younger. She's fertile. There we go. And what happens? A baby's born. What's the baby's name? Ishmael. But he is not the one that's promised to him because it's not from one flesh. One flesh is Sarah and Abraham. And so at just the right time, when Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90, God says, you're going to have this boy, and this boy's name is Isaac. Isaac, and the promise, his promise, stays true. And so this Jewish pe- the Jewish people in, in Galatia, they know this account. They know it like at the back of their hand by memory. They know that Ishmael and Hagar, and when there's a result of adultery and all this kind of stuff, there's havoc that happens in a family. And they have to be sent away. And Paul's using this story figuratively to describe from the past something that's happened currently. He contrasts Abraham's two sons. He equates them with with the status of the two mothers. Hagar's a slave woman. Sarah's a free woman. So we're going to read about that beginning in verse 24. Verse 24 says, These things may be taken how? Figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. You see, the people that live, the Pharisees, are in slavery just like Hagar. But their Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud. You have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are what? Children of promise. At that time, the son born in an ordinary way was persecuted. The, er, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never, here's the law, will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul is rightly dividing the law and the gospel to us who are sinners and saints. The last two things, uh, the last thing that comes in two in this chapter talks about two places. Two places that, that correspond to two covenants. Ishmael and Hagar are slaves. They're connected with this earthly city of Jerusalem. They explain how you live by the law, the Ten Commandments, all the sacrifices, all that thing. He's contrasting it with how to live in freedom. But brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope you know that we all, we can confess that we all try to live by the law to gain acceptance by God. Because I don't know about you, but in my mind, I ask the question, have I done enough? Did I go to church every week? 
Did I have my quiet time? Did I do the devotions with my kids? Do I feel like I'm a, 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 I need to be a better father, a better mother? All, all, all these things that we tend to put on in the law. And, and we think and these are all good things that we're trying to do. But if we equate it to trying to earn our place in heaven, then we fail because we live by the law. Paul mentions in verse 26, the Jerusalem from above is what? It's free. It's free in verse 26 as the opposite of living by the law, that figurative city that comes down. Remember, it's not us ascending up that ladder. It's coming down. This Jerusalem from above is a gospel promise. Jesus was promised to come at just the right time and that he's coming again for us so that we might today, because of our baptism, live in freedom. And even though we're sinner and sane at the same time, we get to live in the freedom part. We're no longer slaves. Jesus paid it all. Isn't that good news? Galatians, uh, sorry, Revelation says it this way, 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It's from God now, prepared by God as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the good news that we get to understand, that we live as children of the promise, children of freedom. I hope as we study this, you find uh, this to be true. It's on the bottom of your outline. It isn't our behavior. It isn't our actions that gain us entrance into heaven because that's living by the law. But it's only through faith in Jesus that we get to have heaven. And that gift of faith is what it is. It's a gift given by God for us. I'll go back to one of my first slides. We're going to live this life, and it's not a game show. It's not a game show. You're not going to win $10,000. You're not going to win $100,000 for answering correctly or doing things correctly to try to please a holy God. It's not about that. It's exactly the opposite. That in Galatians we live, uh, we find that all kinds of things come in too, but what we focus on is living in freedom, no, waiting for that heavenly Jerusalem. Know that we are children of Isaac the promise. Know that we're from the free woman Sarah. Know that our saint sign outdoes our sinner side. Knowing that we live for promise and not law. Isn't that good? That's what we get to do when we read the word of God. The spirit works in your hearts and my heart. And where the spirit of God is, there's what? There's freedom. Let's sing about that as we close today.